Well, sometimes it's hard to believe that God is good when all hell is breaking loose. We are in the midst of a crazy situation, trying to hang on to God, trying to believe his promises. And when we worship, I don't know about you guys, but it makes it right. It seems right. He's, he is in control and he is good, but we do live in a messy world. And some of you are around some messy people currently, some people that haven't combed their hair maybe <laughs> or brushed their teeth, but we're all together. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about how do you find God in the midst of messy? Now, that's the book we've been studying, actually. The theme of the book of James is how do you find God when it's messy? And it's the first century theme of James, but it's also the 21st century reality of us. James starts with the reality of suffering, but he ends with the personification of suffering. Other than Jesus, who in Scripture personifies suffering more than any other person? What do you guys think? Job. Starts with a J. That's right, Job. James, at the end of his letter, writes about Job. Read it with me. In James 5.11, it says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The book of Job, all 42 chapters, starts like no other book. We are brought into a private discussion between God and Satan about this man named Job who was about to suffer. And he suffered, and so will we. Not if we will suffer, but when we will suffer. And when we suffer, there is one word that takes over our lives. It's the word why. Why me? Why this? Why now? And when you ask that question, why, you're not asking it with your intellect. You're asking it with your emotions. Mm -hmm. And what the book of Job does is it helps us understand the why question emotionally, theologically, and philosophically. But what it does is it helps us connect what's going on in our world to what God is doing in our hearts. Job was the wealthiest, wisest, most righteous man of his time. But the focus of the book of Job is not on his financial prowess or his massive intellect or even his spiritual maturity. It's on his emotional confusion. He doesn't understand why. Suffering is confusing. It's revealing. It's exposing. But it's also clarifying. Because when we suffer, what we really believe comes out. And when we suffer, we tend to, as human beings, retreat to one pole or another. Some of us are naturalists. We think life is random and suffering just kind of happens. And according to the bumper sticker, life sucks, then you die. (laughs) Or my Uncle Lacey, when when you go through something hard, Uncle Lacey would always say, you're just taking your turn, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, you can live however you want. It doesn't really make a difference. Life sucks, then you die. Suffering is certain, it's random, and it's purposeless. That's a naturalist. There's moralists on the other side who say life is cause and effect. So suffering, if you have it, is deserved. Uh, If you suffer, you ain't living right. 
Brandon, if you would just get your act together, God would bless your life, right? That's the attitude of a moralist. If you're unsure which one of those you lean towards, simply notice your heart response when somebody around you suffers. Do you have this attitude of, well, it sucks to be you, or I wonder what they did wrong? It shows you what's in your heart when you suffer. It reveals your real beliefs. Now, interestingly enough, Job had both of those kind of people in his life. Job's wife was a naturalist. When he started to suffer, she said, hey, Job, curse God and die. Um, Pastor Greg, I wonder if they might need some uh, marriage counseling on, on that issue. <laughs> Job's friends are moralists. Here's what they wrote in Job chapter four. Who that was innocent ever perished? Where were the upright ever cut off? Those who plow iniquity sow trouble and then reap the same. What they're saying is this, Job, you're simply reaping what you sowed. If you're reaping suffering, it's because you planted disobedience. Job, you brought this on yourself, man. Your personal sin is causing this great suffering. This is what a moralist does. And in the face of such moralistic friends, Job, throughout the whole book, tries to defend himself. And I think he's trying to authentically respond to these questions, but eventually he defaults, as we all do, to moving from defending ourselves to justifying why we shouldn't suffer. We all do it. We all make a case for why we're above suffering. Job essentially says this in the book. I don't want to suffer without vindication. God, will you please tell my wife and my friends that it's not my fault? And he doesn't want to suffer without explanation. God, will you please tell me why this is happening to me? So when we suffer, friends, we always ask why. Now, sometimes we ask it kind of in general. But some of us get very specific and we address God with the why question. And I just wanna caution you that if you ask God the why question, he might actually answer you. But a lot of times what God does is he answers a question with a question. This is what he does with Job in chapter 38. This is God's answer to Job's why. Who is it that questions my wisdom, God says? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone? Yeah. Who kept the sea in its boundaries? Have you, Job, ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the light to dawn in the east? Have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? God answers Job's question of why me with a question, where were you? What makes God God, we sing about it, is that he's good, but that he's also in control. Yeah. Now, he's good and in control, but evil exists. That's called the theodicy or the problem of evil. And it, is, it has stumped Christians for 2,000 years. How can we say God is good and powerful and yet evil exists? Either he's all good are not powerful enough to stop the evil, or he's all powerful, but not good enough to want to stop the evil. And I remember in my philosophy class when I was in college, the professor brought this up and I had just become a Christian and I thought to myself, oh no, I don't have an answer for this. But 
I kept reading and I kept listening and I kept learning and I began to reason, wait a minute, if we have a God who's big enough and powerful enough to allow suffering, then maybe we have a God big enough and powerful enough to have reasons why he's allowing suffering in our lives. Another way to say it is like this. It's as if God is saying, if you believe in me enough to be mad at me when I allow pain and suffering, then you must also believe that I might have a purpose for that pain and suffering that's beyond your understanding and for your good. If God is big enough to blame, friends, he's big enough to have reasons maybe that we don't understand. I don't understand why we, this virus is happening. I don't, it, it, it angers me that people are dying. It doesn't make sense that we're having to shut down our whole world. But maybe God has a purpose that we don't know why, but he knows why. And maybe he's at work in the worst things. Now, that might help you on an intellectual level, but I don't know if it's helping you if you're really suffering right now, if you're really struggling. Because when you're really suffering, it's hard to sleep. It's hard to think. It's hard to speak, much less try to philosophize. See, Job was smart, Job was studied, but Job had no idea about God's conversation with Satan about him. He had no idea that God had a purpose in his suffering. And so he's confused, and many of us are right there, aren't we? We're confused, we're a little hopeless, we're nervous, we're worried about finances, we're worried about our future, we're worried about our family. Job was exactly where we are. And there's a mystery to this, friends. We may never know why, but there are clear purposes that we can see throughout the book of Job and really throughout the whole Bible as to why God allows suffering into our lives. We see it here in Job. Suffering reminds us that God is God. Uh, you can see this in the initial conversation between God and Satan and Job in chapter one. God says about Job, this is what God says. He's a servant, he's blameless, he's upright, and he fears God. The word fear means an inward awe or wonder. What God is saying is, that's my guy, Job. That's my guy. You need to consider this man. And Satan says, yeah, he's your servant, but only because you bless him. Take everything away from him, and then we'll see what he's made of. He doesn't serve you for you, God, Satan is saying to God. He serves you because of what you do for him. And what Satan is doing there is he's pushing on, I think, the greatest temptation that we have with God. And that is to make God a means to the end instead of the end. Mm -hmm. To worship God for what he does for us, not simply who he is. And so God allows this suffering into Job's life, doesn't tell him why, and shows Job actually what he's made of. What Job is made of comes out. See, friends, if we always knew why suffering, uh, we wouldn't have to trust him. If we always knew why, there would be no reason for faith. If we always knew why, then God is simply a means to our version of the American dream. Suffering reminds us that we're not God, but that he's God. Elizabeth Elliot, who's a famous writer and one of my favorite authors, said it this way. She said, in the clear light of day, I finally saw that God was not merely my assistant. Because if he had been my assistant, he would have betrayed me. 
If on the other hand, he was God, then he freed me. For if God is God, and he is, I will find rest nowhere else but in his will. And that is infinitely, immeasurably beyond my largest notion of what he is up to in my life. Sometimes God allows suffering to remind us that he is God. Suffering can also shape our character. In, in, in Job 14, Job compares himself to a tree. And he basically says this, it makes sense, God, that you prune trees so that they can have greater fruitfulness. It makes sense, God, that you're rough with a tree, but why are you being rough with me? Why are you treating me like a tree? I heard a story years ago, again from Elizabeth Elliot, who was over in Scotland observing some shepherds with their sheep. And she quotes um, the experience in vivid, that'll make our imaginations wake up in, in vivid language. She says, this happened once a year, the shepherd would take each sheep and put them in a vat of antiseptic or the sheep would be eaten alive by insects and parasites. And so here's the quote. One by one, the shepherd would seize the sheep as they struggled to get out of the vat. If they tried to come out of the vat on this side, Mac, the sheepdog, would bark and snarl and snap his jaws in their face, forcing them back into the vat. If they tried to run out by the shepherd, the shepherd would grab them, force them under the liquid, ears, eyes, nose, totally submerged, and then bring them back up. Now let's pretend for, for a second that sheep could talk. <laughs> After that experience, what would the shepherd say to the sheep explaining what happened? I don't know that the sheep would be interested in the strategy. I think the sheep would be consumed with their pain and this near drowning that happened. See, as a shepherd... You know what the sheep needs. You know you're doing it for the sheep. But the, to the sheep, it feels like they're being drowned. It feels like they're being killed. But to strengthen the sheep, the shepherd had to do what the sheep didn't understand for the good of the sheep. Friends, suffering shapes and protects our character in ways that nothing else can. Suffering can help shape our character. Suffering can also help us see God more clearly. Job never got an explanation, by the way, in the whole book as to why. But you know what he got? He got God. That's, good. That's bad grammar, but it's good preaching. <laughs> Job got God. Yeah. He got God in a way that he didn't really want God, but in a way that made him understand who God really was. And really, if you look at Job's prayers throughout the book, this is exactly what Job prayed for. He said in, in chapter 13, I don't want to hide from you and I don't want you to hide from me. I want to be in your presence. I want to see your face. I want to know you. I want to experience you in the middle of confusion. That's what I want. And God answered that prayer. In the beginning of the book, Job wanted answers from God. And by the end of the book, he just wants God. In chapter 42, Job says, I had heard about you with the hearing of the ear but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract, he says. I repent in dust and ashes. What did Job repent of? 
I think what he repented of is believing that God owed him anything. When my life imploded about four years ago, Pastor Chip Judd here on Seacoast staff spent time with my wife and I, and I'd never, I'd been to a lot of different counselors, but I'd never quite been to a counselor like Chip. Can I get an amen in the room? Amen. On the camera, can you say an amen if you know Chip? <laughs> Chip said three things to us that day. He said, you need to live the rest of your life loved. Instead of trying to earn God's favor, you have it in Christ. Live loved. Second thing he said was, you're in a pruning season. You're a tree and your character is being shaped. And you're being cut back not to harm you. God's not a butcher. He's a surgeon. He's cutting you to heal you. Yeah, that's good. Come on. And then the last thing he said was, God doesn't owe you anything. This is exactly what Job knew, but now was experiences. In chapter one, he got it. This is what he said. Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord take, has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I came in naked, and I'm leaving naked. You know what he's saying? Everything I have is a gift. Everything I have. I earned nothing. Everything is a gift. My family, my life, even my breath is a gift. See, when we can operate out of that gift mentality where God doesn't owe me anything, but everything I have is a gift, suffering starts making a lot more sense because we're realizing God's not punishing us. He's not doing this to us. He's doing it for us. And so every hard thing in our lives, God is at work in. We can get you know, crazy with words. Did God cause it? Did he allow it? Did he permit it? Okay, I don't know all those words, I, but here's what I know. He could stop it, but he's not, which means he's at work in it for my good right. and to use me in other people's lives, which is our last point. Suffering prepares us to help other people. So what we're going through, friends, listen, it's about us, but it's not about us. It's about what God is doing in us, and it's about what God wants to do through us. It is no accident that you're watching this right now because what God wants to do in your home is a microcosm of what he wants to do in the world. He wants spiritual leadership. He wants spiritual hunger. He wants, he wants us to come with spiritual questions. And he wants us to be able to take that message to the whole world. Listen, when this thing's over, you better believe people are gonna be wanting answers. They're gonna be looking for God and they're gonna be looking to us. And it's a wonderful opportunity to let God do his work in us so that he can do his work through us. What God is doing in you is preparing you for what God wants to do through you. And so let's remember that as we think about this pain and this inconvenience and all the, the, all the props have been kicked out of our lives, man. All of our comforts, we can't watch sports. We can't like get distract our, I mean, how many Netflix show? We're out of Netflix. I mean, we've watched everything, our family. We, there's nothing else we can do. All we have left is God and he's all we need. What if suffering wasn't happening to us, but for us? What if God could work through you? What if you could meet God in the midst of all this messy? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. 
thank you that though we don't understand all that is going on, thank you that you're with us. Would you show yourself strong to us? Would you help us to see you clearly? Thank you for shaping our character. Thank you that we are not God. We trust you. And when we, where we don't see your hand clearly, we trust your heart. And we trust what you want to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if God has spoken to you in this time in your heart and you want to respond, I want to encourage you. you can, there's many ways you can do that. One of the ways you can do that is to simply worship with us right now. Maybe you could light a candle. Maybe you've got a friend that's really taking this hard. Maybe you've got a friend that's got the virus that's sick. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you could light a candle. Maybe you could pray. Maybe just as a family, you could just circle up and say, God, you're God. Be the God of our family. Some of you need to say, be the God of my, my life. You've yeah. never trusted Jesus. Listen, here's the good news. You don't have to suffer with your sin. You don't have to atone or pay for your own sin. Jesus did that for you. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. You don't have to die on the cross. He did that for you. And his power, because he resurrected from the grave, can be accessed by you. If you would just say, Jesus, I give you my sin. I give you my life. I trust you right now. Come and save me and come and lead me the rest of my life and help me to spend the rest of my life pouring myself out for the good of others. We trust you to do that, Lord.